talk on top of the guys as they're receiving the offering, but uh, last week we started a new series that we're calling The Real Deal, and I tell you what, when, when, I, I, when I think about things like what happened in Egypt with those uh, Christians, somebody just walking on the bus and taking their lives, uh, you know, we all think we're the real deal, but how would we respond in such a time as that? And uh, John, you may remember last week I started talking to you a little bit about the background of First John and kind of set the table for where we're going. And today is going to be going to be hard hitting in some areas. And before you walk out of here today, uh, if you can keep from leaving early, I think it would be good for you just because of the sake of, of what I think God wants to do today. But uh, let me let me kind of get started with this. Um, there were four pastors and they met together regularly. And uh, these four pastors come together, and they would meet, and they would talk and about different things. And, and one particular week, one of them said this, listen, our people come to us, and they share sin areas in their life. They confess sin areas in their life. They confess struggle areas in their life. You know, if, we, if our people do this for us, and the four of us, we ought to be able to do this for one another. What do you think? Uh, you know, okay. Uh, all right, who wants to go first? Uh, you know, and finally, one of the pastors said, "Okay, I'll go first." Said, uh, "said Man, I got to confess that um, sometimes I, I will go and see movies that I really would not encourage our people to go and see." And uh, I said, "Okay." And uh, another guy said, "Okay, I'll go next." He said, uh, "He said, you know, uh, I just confess this that uh, man, I, I really love to play cards and gamble." He said, "That's." And so he confessed and said, okay, who wants to go next? And the guy says, uh, man, he said, i got to confess. He said, there, uh, I just have a love for cigars. I just love to smoke cigars. And, you know, I wouldn't encourage our people to smoke cigars. He said, okay. And all of a sudden there was silence. The fourth guy hadn't spoken. And they said, come on, we all, you were the one that suggested this. Why don't you confess? He said, okay, if you push me. He said, i got to confess, I'm a gossip and I can't wait to get out of here. <laughs> Confession can be risky. And John jumps right in the middle of it today. Confession actually means agreeing with the truth. And, and we saw confession, it's agreeing with God over something. And you may remember last week we talked about there's a group of false teachers that had come into the church. And their false teaching, they said that Jesus wasn't fully divine. He had a divine spirit, but his, his, his flesh was not and this kind of thing. And so it created a disturbance in the church, and two things were taught. Either one became legalism, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Or the other one was license, do whatever you want to. So what was happening is, is this license, out of the two of those, which are you going to jump on? You're going to jump on the license one, which means I can go do whatever I want to do, and, and I'm still all right with God if I do that. And so John is addressing this issue of you know, you want to live a sinful lifestyle, but, um, you know, th this is habitual in your life, but let me tell you, you're living just like the world, and, it, and it's no difference. But if we're going to talk about the real deal, about what it means to follow, a, uh, follow Christ, John is going to lay that out for us today. So look at First John chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 5, where we ended last week. 
And then we're going to go through chapter 2, verse 2. So let me read it all, and then we'll come back and unpack it. It says this, 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, when we, de- we, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and His word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But... If anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. i tell you how I want to approach this today. I want to use the passage of Scripture, because I think John is, is, is attacking some of the false teaching issues that have come in here, and that these exist in the church and the world today. But what I want to do is I want to give you three misconceptions that the people felt, that people feel today, and how John addresses them. So here we go. Misconception number one is this, that man can have fellowship with God and still live in sin. In other words, I can live my life any way I want to, sinful habits, whatever I I do, I can live this way and still have fellowship with God, have a closeness with God in the midst of that. But it says here that Jesus, I mean, that God is light. In other words, He is completely morally pure. He is ethically and spiritually pure. There is no darkness, no hint of shadow in Him at all. And here we are with our, our frailties and our sinfulness and our darkness. And we're thinking, okay, God is just going to allow this to happen. And that's not what John is saying here. He says, listen, you cannot say that you're of Him and continue to walk in the darkness. And what does it mean to, to, he says, you're going to walk in the light. What does it mean to walk in the light? That's not terminology we use, but it means this, is that we're willing to walk in such a way to allow God to reveal the hidden things in our life so that we can be pure, pure in all of those things. He's going to guide us. This will dispel the darkness in our life, and we will, continue, we will be able to continually walk with Him in the light. That's what it means. We're walking with Him. It doesn't mean perfection. He is perfection. But it means we're willing to put aside the dark areas of our life to walk close, closely with Him. I, I was thinking about this this week, and I, I want you to bear with my thoughts just a moment. And I, and I wrote this down. One of the greatest poisons that is epidemic in our society today is unforgiveness. Not finding personal forgiveness or not willing to forgive others. In fact, God's Spirit cannot rest upon a man who is holding on to unforgiveness. In other words, when we hang on to sinful areas of our life and are not willing to confess it to God, you know, you know we know our eternity is set, but our fellowship gets tainted. And it's because we want to hold on to habitual sinful areas. We want to, we want to hang on to these things instead of confessing them and getting them right and walking close with the Lord. And, 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 and what John is telling us here is that when you hang on to that, there cannot be a closeness. 
You cannot walk close with Him when you're going to hang on to these things. And unforgiveness, not just towards yourself, but when you hang on to unforgiveness towards somebody else, I, I, let me tell you, they may have been right in what they, you may be right in thinking what you think, but yet what happens is, is that when you hang on to that and say, I'm not going to forgive them, I'm not going to forgive them, what you're doing is, is you're drinking poison thinking it's going to affect them. And this unforgiveness is killing. I mean, I really believe that we're looking at um, we're looking at mental anguish. We're looking at, at soul anguish. We're looking at, at depression. We're looking at, at even physical illness that's come on because people have become so heavy. Tell me if this isn't heavy. You have a hidden sin area that you think nobody knows about. You've got to live your whole life as a lie to cover that up. Think about the anxiety that that's going to bring on you. There's a story told of a woman who had been placed in a psychiatric ward and she was wasting away and, and would not speak. A pastor who continued to make his rounds eventually built trust with this lady and one day he is sitting in the room with her and he, he, she motions to come over to him. She hasn't spoken in, in weeks. She's just wasting away physically and she motions, she motions him to come close. And as, she, as he comes close, this is all she says. I killed my baby. Once the confession was made, though, all of that venom began to pour out. And her health soon recovered. Now, I think this happens all the time. And, and we think, oh, I can live close to God, but I can live a hidden life too. I can hold on to these sins. John says you can't do that. Here's the second miscon. Well, let me let me go on. Let me read a passage to you that I think is good good to hear. Psalm 32, one through five says this: Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. See, the psalmist is even saying there, when I held on to my sin, my bones ached. There was everything about me, depression, there was all this stuff. But when I confessed, then you forgave and the guilt of my sin was gone. Frederick Dietner, a Presbyterian pastor, said this. I love this quote. To confess your sins to God is not to tell God anything God doesn't already know. Until you confess them, however, they are the abyss between you. When you confess them, they become the bridge. Isn't that good? When you hang on to your sinful area, your fellowship is hindered. It becomes an abyss, a distance. But when you confess, it becomes the bridge of closeness to God. So that's misconception number one. Here's misconception number two. Man is really not that bad when it comes to sin. Man is really not that bad. Even though John comes out and says, if we claim that we do not have sin, we are deceiving ourselves. And, and the scriptures teach us that no one is righteous. Isaiah says that your righteousness is like filthy rags. And we, here's what we do. At least this is what I do, and I'm, I think I'm as human as any of you in this room. You know, we take our sins, and we think, ah, oh, lie, gossip, 
take a little something, you know, fudge in some areas of our finances or something like that. And we think we think this is the way it is, or a little lustful eye or something like that. And so we have that over here. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit starts convicting us about those areas. Here's what we do. We start looking at the murderer and the adulterer and the the one over here who is the child abuser, the one that has created these incredibly terrible sinful acts. And the, what we do is say, oh, that's not that bad. That's not that bad. The last time I looked, the Scripture tells us that sin is sin. And it will affect our fellowship with God. And so we see that, that we cannot say that I am not that bad. And, and this is another thing we think about is we think if I can get educated enough or I can get enough technology or new habits or techniques, then I, then I, I can overcome those sin areas. I just need to change my ways. And, and I believe there are certain habit things you can do to protect yourself, but let me tell you, it's a heart issue. I want you to hear this because this is a hard statement, but John is, John is implying this right here. If an individual will not deal with the sin in their life, and continues to live in habitual sin, you could deduce that they are not a true follower of Christ. That's hard, isn't it? And you think, oh, Mark, you're being judgmental. That's, that's the way you Christians are. You're just judgmental. Listen, John is saying that here. He's saying, listen, you cannot say that you do not have this in your life. And, and that's why God has given you a release from this. But let me read that one more time. If an individual will not deal with the sin in their life and continues to live in habitual sin. Now I'm saying habitual sin. We all sin. Good night. You know, I get up early on Sunday. I think by the time I get to eat my toast, I'm, I've already blown it in so many attitudes and thought patterns. But, but if an individual will not deal with the sin in their life and continues to live in habitual sin, you could deduce that they are not a true follower of Christ. If there's no conviction, no Holy Spirit conviction in their life, I would be concerned. Misconception number three. Man can become sinless and righteous on his own. Just a matter of learning the right technique. See, this is how most religion is built on. If I just get good enough, if I get good enough, if I get good enough, then God's going to accept me and I can get sinless on my own. And uh, what, what, uh, what John says here, look at chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I love his tender care. I write this to you so that you will not sin. Now, if he were to stop there, I would have thought, poof, shut the book. But if anybody does sin, we have, he says, an advocate. And that's a neat word there, that advocate word. And, and let me try to get you to understand how Jesus is our advocate. One picture of advocate is this, is that it's uh, when you're hurting and somebody comes alongside of you, a friend comes alongside of you to help you. That's an advocate. He comes alongside of you. If you're hurting in some way, whether it's mentally, physically, spiritually, whatever, he comes alongside of you. That's one picture of an advocate. A second picture of an advocate, this was kind of interesting, it's, it would be like a demoralized troops and a new uh, commander is brought in to take over those demoralized troops. He's their advocate. He is there to put wind back in their sails to get back into the mission. That's pretty cool. The third picture of advocate is a great one. It's the picture of an attorney defending you before a judge. And so you've got the, you've got the judge, which is perfect righteousness, 
And you've got Jesus as your advocate, and here you are. And Jesus is not going to do this. He's not going to say, that Mark's a pretty good guy. He's done some good deeds. He's given money to some things. He's helped people out. I think Mark's a pretty good guy. And, and so you ought, to, you ought to pardon him because he's a pretty good guy. The standard is set. My pretty good guy stuff is not going to cut it. What my advocate is going to do is he's going to stand there and he says, Mark over here, I'm going to say it to his face. He doesn't have a chance. He's sinful. He's, he's, uh, he's depraved. But here's what I want to say. I am going to stand on my righteousness for him. You see the difference? You see how the advocate, Jesus Christ, paid the price in full? And there's no way I can come before God and say, Oh, you look at me, God. You know, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm better know so-and-so over here. No, it's I'm sinful. And I need an advocate. And that's who Jesus is. And that's what John is saying. We have an advocate who is completely righteous. And he is Jesus. But then he gives another term here in, verse, in, in chapter 2, verse 2. He says, He is our atoning sacrifice. In other words, He is the one that has come for our sins. And He is the perfect sacrifice. He is the one that has helped us. But here's the deal. Here's the warning. I want you to hear this. Just because it has been done does not mean that you have taken advantage of that in your life. The United States of America, hear this, is gospel-hardened. We've heard about Jesus. We've heard about Jesus. We've heard about Jesus. Jesus did this. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And, and, and they've heard the gospel. But what is happening is, is they've become so callous. And what is happening, even though Jesus has done that, you have to, within your own life, make a faith step. He's not going to force himself on you. It's a faith step that you must take. Notice what Jesus said. This is what Jesus said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. And I know some people in our world are saying, I'm just going to take my chances. I'm just going to take my chances that you Christians are wrong and the Bible is wrong. Can you imagine standing before Jesus Christ one-on-one on Judgment Day and said, ah, I blew it. Or my friend, my dad, my mom, they were Christians. We played one-on-one with God at that point. One-on-one. That's the misconceptions. Now, how do we really deal with confession? Just three quick steps. I want, I want to lay these before you. The first one is this. Make a moral inventory. The psalmist said it this way. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there be any wicked ways in me. What I would encourage you to do is this. And, and, and you can't rush this kind of thing. If you're willing to come before God, take a blank piece of paper and a pencil, pen, and just get away and just say, okay, God, show me. So show me anything in my life that is just inconsistent with you. I mean, that is a sin area. I, I may not even know it's there. It may be a blind spot in my life. But Holy Spirit, would you just reveal it to me? Just reveal it to me. 
Is it an attitude? Is it an impulse? Is it an addiction? Is it just something that I thought wasn't that bad? What is it, God, in my life? And, and I would encourage you just to write it down. Just to write it down. And, and don't be writing other people's sins down. This is for you. That's the temptation. God, this is it. Man, these things in my life, God, I understand. This is, this is not your plan. Not your plan. Now, hear me again on this. We're not talking about eternal salvation. If you've never come to a relationship with Jesus Christ, today is your day to make that step first. Let me tell you, He has paid it all. I'm talking about your close walk with Him that we as Christ followers. He's writing to Christians here. So you, you write that down. You take a moral inventory. God, this is... Don't compare yourself to others. The Holy Spirit just reveal it. You write it down. Take a moral inventory. Number two is this. This is hard. Accept the blame. Accept the blame. Now that's difficult. My grandkids, which are the best on the planet, I understand that. I've seen their parents put them face to face. Tell your sister you're sorry. Tell her you're sorry. You, I remember doing that with our kids. You tell them you're sorry. Just tell them you're sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, right. Yeah, you're just... I can tell that came from the depths of your spirit. I am sorry. You know what they're sorry for? Got caught. That's exactly what they're sorry for. Man, next time not get caught. And that's the way they're thinking is. And that, that's, that's so often how we treat... We treat sin in our lives. We're thinking God doesn't see it. Gosh, I don't think He saw that. I don't think He knew about it. Good night. He's all-knowing. He's, he's everywhere. And so it's not a matter of coming, Oh, God, you caught me this time. No, it has to, we have to take ownership. God, I take ownership. I take ownership. Let me throw another another one in on you on this one. Here's another reason you've got to take ownership. Did you know that when you have unconfessed sin or I have unconfessed sin, it affects everybody? You remember the Old Testament that the children of Israel had gone in and they'd taken Jericho, the walls come tumbling down, and they were supposed to destroy everything. Everything. It's given to God, destroy everything. Well, then they come out away from there and they go up against a little city called Ai. Spell it A-I. A-I. And they go up against it and they should have just taken it down and they got routed. And so they come back and they go before God and say, God, what, what happened? And he said, there's sin in the camp. In other words, somebody has sinned disobedient in the camp. And so they, they figure it all out and it comes down eventually to a guy named Achan. And, and, and Achan, what did you do? Well, I saw these things in Jericho, and so I took them and I put them in my tent. Even though God said destroy everything, I took it into my tent. Now, Achan, you're thinking, that should just cost Achan. And it did cost Achan and his family, but it cost all of them. See, we do not understand this in the body of Christ. You're thinking, well, I can walk in disobedience in that area and it's not going to affect anybody. Let me tell you, it affects everybody. I think the reason sometimes that we get held back from revival of God just pouring His Spirit down is because of the things I do, the things you might do, that we're not willing to confess to God and say, God, I am wrong. I take ownership of this. I want to, this part of the body, I want to be clean before you. So 
So you've got to take ownership. Here's the third thing right quick. Take a moral inventory, accept the blame, and last of all, ask forgiveness. And I mean forgiveness if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just. And here's, a, here's another key word in that First John 1 John 1.9. He says, and purify us from all unrighteousness. The word purify there in the Greek is where we get the word catharsis or cathartic, which means that, that something that you release the angst or the worry of something. So it's not just a matter of us saying, okay, Lord, you know this lust issue, man, I, I'm struggling. God, you know this gossip area, I've just got to give this to you. I confess that. Confess means agree with God. And so I confess that to you, God, or, or, or uh, an addiction of some sort. God, I confess this to you. I know I did it yesterday, but God, I just confess that this has got me and I need to confess I agree with you, it's wrong. And, and the word, and what happens is not only, it's not a matter of, he, like he's writing them all on the blackboard and then he starts erasing them and this kind of thing. That's not what God is doing. What it does is it restores the fellowship with him and it removes this worry and angst that we've been walking under. We have to ask, God, I confess to you. I confess my brokenness, God, to you. I need you. So take a moral inventory, accept the blame, accept ownership of your life, and then ask God for forgiveness. I, uh, back, back years ago, when I uh, did student ministry and would go speak at places, that there was a, a simple little exercise that you could do. You could get... Uh, one of the big jocks out of a group, you know, who'd come up there, you know, because he'd flex his muscles in front of the girls and do all that kind of stuff. That's who you'd want. And I could take them and I could put a thread around them and say, this thread represents sin. And I'd wrap the thread around them one time and say, okay, break out of that. Bang! You know, flex it in front of the girls. And so he broke that. I said, uh, man, that's pretty good. So I, I said, let's try this again. I'd wrap two times. Bang! It's just a thread, man. Bang! You break out of it. Yeah, okay, I can get away from that. I said, okay, let's try this again. Wrap, 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 wrap. Just keep wrapping the threads. Wrapping the threads, wrapping the threads. Okay, break it. Not happening, not happening, not happening. What happens is, is all those little threads now have come together to become basically his shackles. I think that's what happens with unconfessed sin. I, I, I think that we, oh God, it's not that bad. Thread around. That's not that bad. Thread around. Thread around. Thread around. Thread around. And pretty soon we've developed our own shackles. Um, this isn't easy because I, I, I know you can think, well, I don't have to deal with this. I'm really not convicted in this area. I, I tell you, I, I, and I'm not, I'm not here, i got to say this. I'm not wanting you to have false guilt. I don't want you to make up sin in your life. I don't have to make up sin in my life. I want you to be willing to go before the Holy Spirit of God and say, God, I need to be right with you. I need to be close to you. And these things are preventing that from happening. And so, God, I want to confess this. So here's what I want to do. Just put your stuff aside, and I want you to stand with me just a moment. Would you do that? I'll give you just a second to stand up. And here's what I want you to do. I want you just to hold your hands out in front of you, just like this, clenched fist. Now I want you just to close your eyes. It's just you and God. Just close your eyes. You and God, clenched fist before the Lord. And I want you just to quietly ask God 
God, would you show me? Would you begin to show me the areas of my life that are keeping me from walking close with you? Pride, arrogance, gossip, lust. Attitude that stinks. Just ask Him. And then what I want you to do is as you confess that, I want you just to open your hands. God, I give you lust. Open your hands. Clench it again. God, I give you this gossip. Open your hands. God, I give you this love of money. Open your hands. God, I give you this false God of worship and accomplishment. 